Welcome back, Seahawks Nest fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined as always by the Major Franklin, Major General Franklin Kirby, to my John Matrix. That's Kevin Garber. Kevin, <laughs> how you doing? Well played, sir. Is John Matrix is one of my favorite all-time ridiculous names. Yeah, stupid section with me. And our Arius. Yes, that's right. The villainous El Presidente himself. Eric Ronnebeck, how you doing, Eric? Oh, I thought you were going to make me the uh, the guy with the little weird pencil mustache who's like, I'll be waiting for you, John. <laughs> hey, Is that guy better, Lawson? Or? You, you better watch out, yes, Nathan, Lawson. because uh, I'm not a saint safety, man. I will I will not miss tackling. Uh, I could have made you Alyssa Milano. Uh, that'd be all right. <laughs> it is upside. My favorite part of the movie is John is the Matrix. Whole beginning. Is John Matrix the whole the, beginning's the best, really good? The best garbage action and movie. By really good, I mean it is, awful. It is. It's. <laughs> it is the best garbage action movie. And Kevin, that's the be- the beginning's the best because it's it's trying in a very short amount of time trying to set up this great daddy daughter relationship. It's, I'm sorry, it's no Stone Cold. You put ice cream on my nose, and now we're laughing about it. Isn't I, this great? It's like a montage of parenting. <laughs> I thought for parents I, that don't care. Watch that, Nathan. You're gonna be the a best, parent soon. The best Just movie. Uh, <laughs> the best part of that movie is at the end when you, I thought you said you'd kill me last. I lied. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, man. that's enough Commando references because <laughs> Commando isn't the only bloodbath we've been thinking about this week. That's right. It was a bloodbath at the VMAC last week. We talked a lot about contracts. We talked a little about potential coaching hirings and firings, and then the rumor mill became the reality mill okay daryl bevel gone tom cable gone in that order. chris richard possibly gone, gone. Uh, chris yeah okay no, real chris quick it, that that is like that is becoming crystallized for sure and uh quarterbacks coach gone i mean everyone's just it's it's a it's a, who, it was a bloodbath was our the quarterbacks coach smith okay okay let's let's start with the uh let's start with the 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 end back end hirings okay chris richard Chris Richard uh, is being replaced by Ken Norton uh, to be the defensive coordinator. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think I think this move's fine because it's Pete's defense. It's not like it's not like Norton or Richard is going to be uh, calling any plays. And to be honest, Pete's the secondary coach as well. So having Richard there is a, a borderline redundant in uh, a position of power. Ken Norton, I think, comes in, uh, revitalizes our uh, front four, front seven, and and then you know it's Pete's defense. So we just do what we do. I'm not. I think this is a fine hiring. It, it feels like a lateral move to me, to be honest. I don't think it makes a huge difference, but it's not a downgrade, in my opinion. Would I'll you guys s- tend to agree? I'll say this about Richard and Norton now. Richard was respected, I'm sure, but Norton is going to ga- garner that instant respect. You know, it's Ken Norton Jr. It's a guy who's you know legendary for what he's done on the field, well respected, and his dad was like the the best boxer, heavyweight yeah, champion. Exactly. Um, forgot about that. And his uh, his his ex tenure with the team will uh, you know no doubt give him what he needs going forward. Now I like this hire. Like you said, Pete does a lot of the coaching on the defense. I feel like Norton is a fine addition. It certainly isn't going to be awful. Yeah, the, I mean the defense he coached last year in Oakland was bad. Uh, admittedly, when he left, they were one of the worst ranked defenses in the entire league. 29th in DVOA, 16th against the run, 30th against the pass. But in in our case, I don't feel like he's in char- he's in totally in charge of the defense. He's more like a like a, a shepherd, a caretaker. He's he's the guy behind the guy. Yeah, the thing for me that so there's something I really don't like about Ken Norton in the hiring as a D coordinator, and that is he was the defensive coordinator for Oakland for three years, 2015 through 2017. They went from 15th in DVOA in 2015 to 22nd in 2016 to 29th in 2017. That is a bad trend. 
Uh, they were 15th and 16th in the run of the pass, then 17th and 25th, and then 16th and 30th. So it's the run defense that fell apart. Now, the other part of that is you can blame that on linebacker play. Linebacker, ask any Oakland fan, anyone covering the team, linebacker play was a big weakness. That is not the case for Seattle. So Wait a second. We ha- they have Bruce Irvin and Khalil Mack. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's, let's start with Khalil Mack. Klomack is a pass rusher. Klomack's a defensive end. In he's not scheme. a linebacker. Uh, I keep forgetting that. You're right. I mean, he's functionally a defensive end. So what you have is... He's even worse in coverage than Von Miller, if that's possible. Yeah. For like a guy who sometimes drops back into coverage. For, for a person who I think watched he's, one Raider game all year, really? Like he's, he's that bad in coverage? Uh, he has glaring flaws that they did not cover in any way, shape, or form. I'll go, I'll go into the PFF stats while Kevin continues for that. Uh, so the big thing is Ken Norton didn't show an ability to call plays in a way that would mask deficiencies of players. But I think what Nate said here is key, and that is he's not running his defense. He's running Pete Carroll's defense. And he's running, uh, you know, and so if you're defensive coordinator for Pete Carroll, then really what he is is managing the front seven. And that is what I like about it. Uh, we talked last year about how we wondered if having a defensive backs, defensive coordinator was kind of letting the front seven manage themselves too much. We know that Norton can be disciplined with both a younger and a veteran group. You know, he'll have the respect of the players being a veteran. He's been able to manage this team before. So he's a hiring that makes a lot of sense. I tried looking up these numbers, couldn't come up with them. Kevin, do you have any numbers on his uh, his blitz scheming? Uh, no, I wasn't able to come up with any good numbers on his blitz scheming. I, I really tried to, but they also run a that. very different defense. Like their base defense is very different mechanically than the yeah. Seahawks run. I don't know. I I I figure like the addition of Norton will make us blitz better, or. Uh, you know, get pressure in different ways, if that makes sense. I could see us looking more like a Gus Bradley defense. Okay. Because yeah. he was linebacker's coach under Bradley, under Carroll. Well, Bradley was a linebacker's coach. Well, it's funny when uh, Norton was hired as the D coordinator away from Seattle to be the, the D coordinator in Oakland. I was like, this seems too soon. I don't know. And, but he stuck around for three years. Oh. They haven't... I thought I didn't know that Oakland was ran a three four this year. Yeah, they ran a base three four to try and get that pressure from outside linebackers. That's uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, running a base three four when you don't have four linebackers that should start it's it's a thing that you can do. How's their that's their a, nose that's tackle a, that's any a, good? That was a bad choice. Whoever decided that aren't there only like two nose tackles in the league? There's not a lot that can run a Cl- strong. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cl- Khalil Mack dropped back in coverage 25 times. He was targeted on seven of those times. All seven went for receptions, including a staggering 47 yards after catch on just seven receptions. Not my favorite. Uh, that's 2.52 yards per coverage snap. Pretty bad. I also have to believe that this 3-4 concept was not Norton's idea. Like, looking at his history, um, where he's been an assistant coach and everything, uh, this just doesn't seem like... I don't think he had a strong hand in what the defense was doing. We'll say it that way. Yeah, there's some definitely some messaging from the top that was saying, this is what we're going to do. I don't know if that's what Jack Del Rio likes or what. Um, so, all right, DC, out of the way. We think this is a, a either slightly good to neutral hiring. Agreed? All agreed? Yep. Yep. Okay. It's a C plus. Yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> exciting. It's I'm not head over heels for it, but, like, it's fine. All right. Let's go to the OC. 
Let's. Seahawks are um, likely to hire Brian Schottheimer, although it has not been finalized yet. A lot of people think it's because a team that's left in the playoffs has someone we want to interview first. And we can talk about how excited we would be about that. Um, Let's we, talk about that first. Okay, D. Filippo is the qu- quarterbacks coach for Oakland or Philadelphia. It is widely rumored that he, um, the Seahawks, would like to get a word in with him before they just go with Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, uh, I, I just we talked about f- him a little. La- uh, Kevin talked a little bit about his article. Mm-hmm. So Kevin, go ahead and tell us a little bit about D. Filippo. So uh, Mike D. Filippo is a very interesting coach to me. He's currently the quarterbacks coach in Philadelphia. And uh, he's been for the last two years. Uh, in 2015, he was the Browns' offensive coordinator as well. And he did some really interesting things in play calling when there's a lot of meddling at the top. If you have Johnny Manziel as a weapon in your offense and you can make a functioning offense, <laughs> you're doing your job well. Uh, the only thing is I'll say uh, four hours ago it was made official that we hired Schottenheimer. Oh. So that's that's what I was trying to interject before we went into Phil, uh, Di Filippo. Uh, maybe maybe there's still something that we're going to do there. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, a big thing with Schottenheimer was they were talking about wanting to get in off the market early, and Schottenheimer was available. When he, I don't know. We talked about what we thought. I love that you said the defensive coordinator uh, was a C plus, Kevin. I kind of view that for the offensive coordinator position. Now, I know that there's some, some cool things we can go into and in how he runs uh, his offense, but what I really enjoy is that we don't have Daryl Bevel anymore. And I don't. <laughs> and I know that's kind of funny to say, but honestly, uh, Nathan brought something up last week. <clears throat> Maybe it was you, Kevin, but it really kind of opened my eyes to why uh, letting go Daryl Bevel would be a great idea. And that's having an offensive corner, cor- nah, say having the same offensive coordinator for the amount of years that we did is too long. And we went through the eye test, we went through the stats, we wanted him gone. But it was just time for a change. Now with Schottenheimer, I'm not like, oh, I love this guy. It's not like a a move that gets me super invigorated, but I'm all right with it. It's someone new, it's someone who who has some uh, experience. I, I read all about his Georgia numbers. Kevin wrote a very, very good article, by the way, that we should pimp out more. By the way, um, Kevin, can you tell us a little bit like what is the Brian Schottenheimer offense like? So the Brian Schottenheimer offense is so a lot of people just say it's a West Coast offense. Is that because he uses two tight ends a lot? Uh, it's because he comes from West Coast roots. So uh, Schottenheimer was uh, his offensive coordinator jobs have been with the Jets and the Rams, but he started off working with San Francisco and. Um, he actually worked with Pete for a little while in San Francisco. Uh, he, or sorry, I'm mixing my coaches. Um, he worked for a little while uh, with his dad, obviously, Marty Schottenheimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has roots with some systems that run base West Coast. And this is a big deal when the New York Jets um, picked up Brett Favre. They talked about that. But then you go and talk to his quarterbacks, and yeah, the basic is a West Coast offense, but it's like some big, heavy modifications. So the trend that you'll see is he really likes high-accuracy, high-efficiency quarterbacks. He also likes mobile quarterbacks. He really likes a good mobile quarterback. Um, He likes to do uh, protection schemes that slide the pocket. So you're going to see a lot more of things like that. He uses a lot of two running back and two tight end sets. 
So you're more likely to see some more creative use of running backs and tight ends. Well, and I like uh, some of the two tight end sets he runs. He'll he'll put them both out on seams. He'll put them both out on short routes. He'll keep them both in to block. He'll uh, have them both chip block and then run their routes. It's a totally uh, different way of doing things. Now, granted, we don't have great blocking tight ends. I imagine that will change at least a little bit, I would hope, to match our offensive coordinator, I would hope. But I really like that this is a guy with a plan for tight ends. That's something that, remember, uh, Holmgren had that, yep. but we never had a tight end who could catch. I mean, when we had Jeremy Stevens, who time proved was not that great, yeah, um, really he put anything. up some big numbers. Yeah. And then the thing I think Nathan's going to be really excited about is that uh, Schottenheimer, and this is the West Coast element, sets his offense up based off of the run and the quick pass. He's really big on quick passing schemes. And the three to five step drop. Yeah. Which is 27 drops shorter than Daryl Bevel used. Yeah. You guys want to know my big thing about Schottenheimer? Yeah. Uh, He's been coaching in the league since he was 27 years old. That's a fact. I mean, this guy, even though he's 44, he has a lot of experience. Um, and he he took some pretty trashy Jets offenses to AFC Championship games, if I'm being real. Uh, those Jets offenses were not very ins- inspiring. And he went to, what, back-to-back AFC Championship games with those Jets offenses? Yeah. Well, and has Sanchez ever looked like anything good outside of his offense? Yeah, it's it's. I, I I'm not. I'm not like head over heels about this hiring. If I'm being completely honest, I think he might be a worse offensive coordinator than Daryl Bevel. But Daryl Bevel was so played out in Seattle, there was no way he, he was going to be good. So I feel like this is complimenting Daryl Bevel, but it almost felt like Jamie Moyer as a Mariner, like a guy who did something really well that was really niche. But at the end, and even towards the end, everyone knew what was happening. It was telegraphed. It was easy to hit the ball out of the park for the other team. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to reserve my grade on this until we get through our next coach because I think there's a little something to say about that. But really quickly, the thing I wanted to say about Schottenheimer that does have me excited, if you look at interviews with Drew Brees, with Phillip Rivers, with some of the better quarterbacks he's worked with, with Andrew Luck, there's a lot of reference, and these are all when he was a QB coach. There's a lot of reference to um, decision making, and those quarterbacks talk about how he really coached them into not taking the bad sack, into how to really use the scheme to get out of a bad situation, and they talk a lot about reducing the negative play, which that's a big Pete Carroll thing. And if you look at Schottenheimer's offenses, they tend to be good on their turnover numbers. And they're good at running the ball, too. And I think this team wants to get back to its old identity, right? Like, call run play, get, get chew some clock, get the defense out on the field well-rested, kick some ass on defense, get back onto offense, right? Well, and he's never had these super, uh, super dominant offenses, but everywhere he's gone, the offense has gotten better once he got there. That's something you need to consider. So he took some talent-deficient offenses. I mean, his first year with the Jets, his lead running back was Leon Washington. And he survived a a coaching change in the New York, too. Yeah, from the man genius. Mangini was the one who initially hired him, and then then Mangini got fired, and Rex Ryan comes in, and he decided to keep Schottenheimer, which I think is a big compliment to... And say what you want about Rex Ryan, one of the things he was good at was building a staff. Yep. Um, So... 
he obviously has some some respect around the league. Uh, but so does the guy that got fired next, right, Kevin? That guy has some respect around the league. That's Tommy Cable. Well, if he didn't, he'd beat it into you. And that's uh, Tommy Cable is gone. He may he uh, may he rest in in infamy. He's may he rest he's, in Oakland. He's gonna rest in Oakland. Yeah, that's that's I, I'm already that's already a dumpster fire. I'm I'm not excited for Raiders fans. That's a really bad. I'm sorry to fit. my friends who are Raiders fans. That is going to be not fun for you. That is an awful fit. Well, he'll be changing these uh, the uh, blocking scheme to zone, which will be. It's it's uh everyone talked about it. it's a work in progress it's really hard to do and it never clicked here. All right, well we got our we got a new offensive line coach. And a new old offensive and line it's coach. One we've had before. <laughs> His name is Mike Solari, and uh, he coached up some pretty some pretty mediocre offensive linemen into playing pretty decent. Uh, back in his first tenure with the Seahawks, like that last line he had was was pretty talent deficient. Sean uh, Locklear was our left tackle. The uh, end. <laughs> it, it was like Locklear Unger as a rookie. Uh, Chris Spencer, like it was just Rob Sims, wasn't it? Yeah. Nope, no carpenter, carpenter yet. Oh no, it was a year before his last yeah. year. Yep, right? we had Ray Willis as our right tackle. <laughs> it's not good, dude. Uh, um, I when it, I was uh, I was listening to the radio when Solari was hired, and I was like, "Oh, it's breaking news!" And I was like, "Is this the same? Is this the same Solari? No, it's a different set. No, it's the same guy. It's same guy. Holmgren's guy. Same, same exact guy. Solari has been making offensive lines play consistently since the '90s." It's what he does. He he's not splashy. He's not exciting. I would say he's the twelfth best offensive line. But he's he gets offensive lines to play consistently. And to be honest, that's what we need. Real bad. Also, Nathan is he uh, is he a zone blocking guy? He is. Uh, he is, but not cut blocking but like not cable. cut blocking. Right. Uh, it's not, a different type of zone block. Yeah, not cheap block. Cheap shots. Uh, he gets guys to do their job. Like this guy knows what he's doing, and he loves power running too. Really quickly, you say not a sexy hire. He coached those great run game and run blocking offensive lines for Kansas City in the late 90s and early 2000s. If you think about the Priest home Larry Johnson era, that's him. I mean, so he had a not he had a 10 year run with uh, Kansas City uh, 1997. So we'll go uh, adjusted line yards, which is running first, adjusted sack rate. So 7th in line yards, 8th in sack rate. 11th in line yards, 13th in sack rate. 9th in line yards, 3rd in sack rate. 19th and 11th, 4th and 17th, 3rd and 10th, 3rd and 4th, 3rd and 9th, 1st and 15th. Like, this guy coached a great stretch of offensive linemen in Kansas City. He came in to seattle and took over a group that was not doing very well and he coached him up a bit but that was a talent deficient line 22nd and 27th both year both years he moves into san francisco which did not spend on their offensive line super well and he was able to put together a scheme that worked well and he had some success there he was brought in to fix a new york giants offensive line that hadn't been doing very well you know, 2016, when the health was better, second in adjusted sack rate, 24th in adjusted line yards with no running backs. Last year, you know, we all think about the Giants' offensive line being terrible, 15th in line yards, 10th in sack rate. That's twice as good at run blocking as Seattle. Oh. And then going from 26th in adjusted sack rate to 10th. And that's with Eli Manning and whatever Paul, else they tried to do. Who was the running back? Paul. Well, Paul Perkins Paul or Perkins. Orleans Darkwa. 
And so you're talking about somebody who is making something out of a talent, out of a line that had not been performing. The thing is, Schottenheimer knows what he's getting here. They've worked together before. Yep. Uh, Schneider, Schneider's worked for him, with him before. Like they, These guys are all well aware of what each other are bringing to the table. Yeah, well, Pete I, Carroll's worked with him before. And I brought the question up, uh, you know, does he do zone blocking? And uh, I failed to make this point when I made fun of Cable going back to the Raiders. But it's, you know, there's... When you when you play O line, you're you're kind of covering zones. You're not always covering the guy in front of you because if the guy goes out into coverage and a blitzer comes in, then you're picking up a zone, right? But with cable, what he used to do with his cut blocking, it was really intricate and very hard to learn. And they always talked about when this clicks, it's gonna be great because it's so hard to learn. But there's so much that goes into it. It's gonna it's gonna cover everything. And we for whatever reason, it never worked here. And Solari, I feel like you know. I love the the Kansas City numbers you brought up because this is it's not rocket science in football. Uh, it seems like a pretty it's like a regular zone that a lot of people run. Uh, I'm sure that these guys will be able to pick it up. I'm pretty excited about this. If this is the last hire was a C plus, Kevin. Um, I'm sorry, the the Chris Richard replacement with Norton was a C plus. I don't know, getting Cable out and really just getting someone who will take us to the medium of the pack, the mid-level of the pack, that's like a B-plus for me. So, Nate, unless you want to say something else, I want to go ahead and do a quick deep dive on the zone difference here. Sure, go ahead. All right, so Tom Cable ran what's called an outside zone. So an outside zone you'll be very familiar with as I describe it. In an outside zone, the offensive lineman's first step is lateral. So the offensive lineman, or really the blocker's job, so that would include tight ends, is to move laterally along the side of the line of scrimmage. So that's where you see them get their shoulders turned towards the direction of the play. And they're moving along the line of scrimmage, attempting to direct the flow of traffic. And they have basically gap assignment, which is how zone blocking works. So they're supposed to move, you know, if the run play is going to the right, they're moving to the right and picking up the first person in their gap. What this is designed to do is the running back runs to the outside. So let's say you're doing a um, zone, an outside zone run to the guard tackle gap. So the running back would be targeting the outside hip of the guard when he takes the ball and be running laterally along the line behind the line of scrimmage and looking for the cutback lane. The difference on that is what Mike Solari runs is a inside zone blocking scheme, which is like a power zone. It uses elements of the power blocking scheme along with zone scheme. And the difference here is it's an attacking style of blocking. So instead of your first step being lateral and kind of pushing the whole play in one direction, under Solari's scheme, what you're doing is you take a step to the inside of the hole and forward. Yeah, you're so engaging right away, right? You engage right away. So basically, instead of moving along the line, you're almost planting on your left foot or your right foot, depending on the direction the play is going. And you're trying to pick a spot on the offensive lineman's number or on the defensive player's jersey and you're trying to uh engage right away 
So it's a much more powerful blocking system. It's less passive. It's more active and aggressive. I read up on this too, Kevin, and it's it's an initiation of contact as opposed to almost like uh, waiting for it to happen. Right, which is what we were really frustrated with Afedi and Cable. A lot of times in his offense, in his offensive line scheming, it'd be a guy standing around, not yeah. blocking anyone. And yep. It's just you're just like like they're waiting for someone to get in the Solari system. That will never happen. Yeah, he it will, should not will, happen. People sit their asses down if that happens. Exactly. Well, also, when you wait for contact, that's a good way to land up on wind up on your ass. And which that's my that's my big lot. Solari thing is he gets guys to do their job. He gives them a job and he makes them do it. And it, if they don't do their job, then they don't play. And so you're gonna see guys that this year maybe didn't do anything. Like Fetty might be a good example of this. Fetty had a horrible season, right? Yep. He was just awful, like straight up. And but Solari's gonna go in and he's gonna give him real coaching, and he's gonna give him something to do, and he's gonna give him a job. And you know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna bet Fetty has a pretty damn good season next year. I not, think he'll be a passable not player. Not great. I don't think he's gonna be great because I just don't know if he has the tools. But he will be good, and it will be because Solari will give him a job. He'll say, "Do this." Do and this, he's good at this. mauling. He's good at being a physical. Yeah. Yep. Just say, get in this guy's face, block this guy on this player, go up and put a hat on a hat. I could see him being put at left guard, and they'll ask him to play the Mikey Potty in this system, where his job is to maul the interior defensive lineman. Right. Huh. So, the, the, but they're going to run a lot of inside game. inside power, inside traps, right? Those inside power. Uh, he does use some trap elements, which is a power blocking. The nice thing about the inside zone is it allows a little more versatility. So the other thing is, and this is another difference I'm a big fan of, because it takes away a frustration I've had. Um, not only is the offensive line more aggressive, the running back is more aggressive. The running back's job in an outside blocking scheme is to run to the outside hip of the gap. In an inside blocking scheme, you're running to the inside hip of the gap, which means that your first step is more forward than lateral, which means that you're not taking the ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage and moving along the line three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Your job is to close it to one or two, look to like a yard, yard and a half, and then search out your cutback lane. Um, so you should see a lot less tackles for a loss, which is why those adjusted line yard numbers look better in Solari's system. Because you have less negative plays by just the sheer nature of the way the run is set up. Of taking a step forward as opposed to... Yeah, it's as simple taking, as that. You're taking the, a step to the side. You're the aggressor on the play. You don't just fall on the ground and let everyone else jump over you. Yeah, like, you're, you're opposing your will on the defense is the goal. Whereas... Um, Otherwise, uh, the outside zone blocking scheme is more like manipulating the defense. This is bullying the defense. Well, we talked about you know the play where you know the the left side of the line will go forward and the right side will come and and you know look for the cutback. And by that time, Russ is on his ass. That's not going to happen now. And Russ is still going to fall on his ass at times. This isn't a cure all. Uh, we're still going to have running back problems. We still need a running back, a running game. But this is a the scheme fits the players yeah, better. The scheme that honestly, it fits the type of football you want to play. If you want to run the ball, you essentially want to smack people in the mouth. And Cable's offensive line scheme did not do that. So the second thing with that that's nice is that um, with this blocking scheme, you're going to have fewer tackles for a loss because of the nature of the scheme. But also, it's going to cover up some flaws. You know, we talk about a Fetty not being able to make a read. Well, in this system, if he double teams with the center on the defensive lineman and doesn't make it to the second level, you're still looking to three-yard run. Because 
what the zone block in this scheme is trying to do, they're trying to drive block the defensive lineman back into the linebacker's lap. So if he can just drive block that defensive lineman and is able to maintain his gap integrity, you know, even if he doesn't make it to the second level like you want him to, he's still pushing the pile forward, which will allow for the uh, running back to at least get a couple yards. So what used to be a negative one or two yard run because you're missing the assignment Mm -hmm. suddenly becomes, you know, a one or a two yard run. The other thing that happens is because you're running to the inside hip of the tackle and the inside hip of the guard, your tight end is no longer your lead blocker. Because when you're running to the outside hip of the right tackle on a strong side run, you're running to the gap between the tackle and the tight end. So you're suddenly expecting your tight end to seal off the defensive end or get to the second level. You don't want to lead block with a tight end. Solari system doesn't do that. Solari system uses the tight end to get to the second level if at all possible, but you're running behind your offensive line, which is ideal. Now, there are some interesting rumors, Kevin, going around here where they said we might use some more uh, shotgun, like college concepts with spread. Uh, think things like we see maybe in Minnesota, where there uh, there's some some like uh, pre-snap reads given to the quarterback that he needs to make before the play, and then he has a run-pass option uh, out of the shotgun kind of thing. Uh, do you think this is something the Seahawks would benefit from, or do you think that that is that? Are we going to run a more traditional pro style? Do you- I would go so far as to say that not only is that something we benefit from, if you look at our coaching hires, I think that's something we're set ourselves we're setting ourselves up to do. Uh, so Chris Alt who is a really like innovative coach. Um, he coached at University of Nevada with Colin Kaepernick and some other talented players. He, de- uh, he invented the pistol formation. Um, he's a really interesting guy. He became a big advocate for zone blocking schemes, and Solari runs an inside zone similar to what Alt did. And Alt was really innovative with a lot of these kind of college semi-spread, semi-pro options. And so... Solari's offensive line mixed with what Schottenheimer likes to do with a mobile pocket makes things like run pass options, uh, makes plays like uh, zone read a much more sensible part because what's going to happen is our run blocking and pass blocking are going to look more similar than they have which means that we're not going to be tipping our hand, which makes it so those fakes are even harder to not bite on because we're going to be forcing the defense, you know, the linebacker has to choose. Are they going to fill the gap and try and cut off Russ? But then they're going to leave Doug Baldwin on one-on-one. Doug Baldwin on one-on-one across the middle, we'll take that every day. You know, we'll take Nick Vanette one-on-one on a post pattern. You know, we'll slide everything to the right and give a chance for a naked boot back to the left like those are this is why i didn't grade schottenheimer because i think that schottenheimer's maybe a c plus b minus i think that solari's maybe a b plus uh you know b minus b i think the <laughs> two of them together is a b plus a minus higher because i think these are two schemes that make a lot of sense these are two guys that pete carroll's very comfortable with i think pete carroll's going i have two years left on my contract He's probably looking at retiring if he doesn't extend with us. Yeah, He wants people that he knows are going to get the job done. These are two people that are teachers on offense. These are two people who have a sensible scheme that can make us. They have a system that they are willing to adapt 
which I think was the fatal flaw with Cable. Cable never adapted the system to his players. He always adapted his players to his system. And Bevel did the same thing at the end, you know, when we when we did not have a running game and he still tried to uh he tried to I guess he tried to adapt Kevin, but he didn't know how to do it. Yeah, he couldn't figure out how to utilize the players. He finally figured out how to use Jimmy Graham 20% of the time, as Nate likes to say, or for 20% of the field. It'd be much nicer. I'd rather have 100% of the field with Nick Vanette being used properly than 20% of the field with Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I agree. All right. So um, that's coaches. That's coaches. We did it. That is. We did it. Um, Yeah. If you have a comment or a question about the coaches, send it our way at SeahawksNest, uh, Twitter.com slash SeahawksNest, uh, Facebook.com slash The SeahawksNest. You know, however you want to contact us, do so. Uh, We'll get there. Yeah, this is the time to ask questions. Because uh, we we have time to just, like, deep dive research on the answers. You know, like, I have I have access to maybe a couple of statistical services that I can't name on the podcast uh, because, you know, they're... Because uh, then it costs ten times as much? Yeah, because then they say, like, oh, it's you're using it for media. And I'm like, this is not that many people that get to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, and none of you guys are going to pay them for it, so... Yeah, it's so much. It's... I like how they. I said like, "Hey, we we have a, a small audience. Can I get a discount?" And they were like, "Yeah, the discount is five thousand dollars." And I was like, "What the hell? The hell do you think I am? Like, I'll just I'm just gonna buy the regular version and hope that I get away with it." <laughs> <laughs> the the so uh, yeah. Uh, any is there any other? Uh, that's some there's big no news. big Seahawks I, news. I think that that's the big stuff, and that is big news. Yeah, that's huge news. There's we still have a quarterbacks coach to hire. Theoretically, we might be looking at a wide receivers coach and a running backs coach. They might end up clearing house. That wouldn't be too surprising when you're already bringing in two additional coaches. I imagine uh, Schottenheimer, Pete, Schottenheimer and Pete will be holding interviews with the rest of the offensive coaches. So don't be too surprised if there's news on that. Yeah, I mean they did fire Michael Barrow too, which means we'll hire a new linebackers coach or. I don't know. Something weird is going to happen there. Where it would be super surprising if he was linebackers slash DC. Um, so yeah, uh, another thing is there's lots of cool clips on YouTube of Mike Solari talking about like offensive lineman strength, offensive tackles versus offensive guards, uh, identifying the mic and stuff like that. That are they're they're really cool. They're videos. really informative. Yeah, He's, he. Uh, I I was not sold on Solari until I watched these videos, and I was like, oh. No, this guy really gets it. He understands what's going on. These guys are really going to do their jobs. You know what I liked about those videos? What? After I watched those videos, I felt like I knew how to block in his scheme, and I'm an idiot. So (laughs) if our offensive linemen who have been blocking in the NFL are listening to this guy in a room and get to ask him questions, I have extremely large amounts of faith that whether or not they execute perfectly, they'll know what the hell they're supposed to do, which alleviates, as Nathan, you were saying earlier, the biggest frustration, which is just seeing people spin around looking in a circle like, what happens next? I'm just so sick of that. It was uh, embarrassing. Another thing, too, is uh, the lot, all the guys that we thought might retire, like Averill, uh, Chancellor, it looks like all of those guys are going to try to come back, Yep, which is good. Uh, I'm glad that they... It's good for everything but our cap situation. ...feel juvenated. Uh, it is going to be really hard on the cap, so we might have to make a tough cut. We will see. We'll see what happens. I'm not uh, I'm not rooting for these guys to fail, but we'll see if they can come back. That okay? is one more thing I wanted to bring up, though. The Schottenheimer hire really makes me take a second look at Paul Richardson. 
Paul Richardson is an ideal wide receiver in a Schottenheimer system. He loves those guys who can make the highlight real catch. So it'll be more so, more painful when he goes somewhere. Else. I think there's a better chance we open up the wallet a little wider for him. And then the last the last uh, piece of CX news was Jeremy Lane. Jeremy Lane apparently uh, drives like he takes a physical and uh, didn't do so well. So with that, so all right, that's it for Seahawks news. I'm trying to get blocked by Jeremy Lane on Twitter. Did you like that, guys? Yeah. What What uh, did he do? Give us, oh, he just it, failed he his got driving a DUI, test. But you know, in all fairness, it was apparently because he was more high than drunk, according to that's him. That's what That's what he said to the cop. He said, "I'm more really high than drunk." Yeah. You know, uh, people who smoke weed a lot, they think it does not impair how they drive. So that makes perfect sense. Um, okay. And then... Uh, so that, apparently that, we can only trade him to Denver now. That's pretty <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, that's all the big Seahawks uh, yeah, Actually, we forgot one. Uh, oh, Colin the, Coward the, put Russell Wilson seventh on his top ten quarterbacks list? No, what we don't give Colin Coward press because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he no, he put think- Carson Wentz fifth, so I wow. think that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger fifth. Uh, no, uh, Seahawks playing in London next year. Oh, yeah, we are. In the Tom Cable revenge. Congratulations game. to the UK Seahawkers. Uh, I think sometimes I take for granted how easy it is for me to see the Seahawks in person, and I've like done it so many times that I'm, I don't want to say that it's better to watch the game at home, but I sometimes enjoy just not getting rained on and watching it on my really nice TV as opposed to being at the game. And uh, you know what? It's really cool to go to the game when you don't go all the time. Like, it's really cool. Like, once a season, it is awesome it is you go you don't get i don't you don't get burned out like you did when i went to every seahawks home game from the time i was seven years old to the time i was 23 so that's like 16 consecutive years of of bad football mostly let's start with that you know (laughs) but but i but i mean one of the last games i went to with my grandpa was the beastquake game so you know it it definitely it balances out it definitely started to come up at the end and then we went to the carolina game where and you know there's i've been to a lot of cool seahawks games in my life because of because my grandpa had season tickets and and it yeah it's fun and it's a great experience and yeah i'm I'm glad that people are around the world now are going to get to experience that in person that's really really cool oh second thing uh speaking of uk seahawkers if you have any thing that you like to reach out for man contact us you guys are really cool yeah. we support you you are one of our podcast brethren uh unlike field goals which blocked us because they're dicks yeah, yeah no, except we, for except for all their writers still still talking to us we like all their writers <laughs> we just don't like them as a maybe as it's an a entity. mistake whoever maybe. runs their twitter account and just sucks that's um, right grudge match we're gonna start posting our podcast on field goals everybody vote us up yeah we're gonna put in the fan shot section i don't know it feels a little petty all right uh that's why we're doing it. <laughs> I am pretty petty. Kev- Kevin knows the, the the extent to my pettiness. I'll just like I'll just like seek out things for the most just petty reason, just to rub it in. Yeah, because I totally didn't get us blocked by Luke Wilson for saying he can't catch. It's who we are, but can he? Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> well, he can apparently block once only online. I mean, he blocks better than Jeremy Lane drives or passes a physical. All right. Anyway, I'm just, I'm just trying to get dro- blocked by Jeremy Lane, guys. Okay, so. Uh, that's that's it. That's all our Seahawks news for this week. Uh, if you want to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Donate as little as $1.24 a month. Get exclusive access to our uh, single play breakdown YouTube videos, our weekly picks podcast during the regular season, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. I also mail out stickers sometimes when I have stamps. And <laughs> do, you like, do you like that? That's I don't accurate. Need to, I don't, remembers when he goes to the store. To way, way to promise exactly what you can do. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't go to stamps.com. You know, that's the problem. But if you go to stamps.com and click on that microphone logo on the top right and put Seahawks Nest, you can get a discount. Uh, you can get a discount at stamps.com. Yeah, t- type in the type in the code literally anything. That's literally anything at 
Stamps.com. And then head over to... Uh, As a matter of fact, I really like uh, Mike Duncan, who does the Revolutions <laughs> podcast. So just look up his code. I think it's Revolutions. And give him some money. He's a good dude. And after that, you can head over to DraftKings.com. Is Draft still King, a thing? At DraftKings.com slash SeahawksNest <laughs> is your favorite podcast. You can get a $50 tr- a sign-up bonus. That's Seahawks... I just made that up. That's I was like, going to say, all, no, way, no way, no way, no uh, way. These are all fake. So last week, I made up some. I made up a spec ad, and it went horribly. Yes, you and did. And it was for a product I actually care about. So this week, I made up some spec ads, and I made them good, but they're for products I don't care about. All right, let's go straight to the movie. Way movie to time. Go, Wait, we're not going to talk about the Casper mattress? <laughs> uh, no, uh, we're, a Lisa, we're a Lisa podcast, Kevin. No, we're not. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Lisa says it's the most sustainable mattress for every ten that get out. Really, because the Casper mattress is the favorite mattress of the internet. And also, Kevin, <laughs> I don't know if you know. I've heard, but the Lisa mattress for every ten that you they, that get sold, they donate one to charity. All right, same with that one uh, sock club. Yeah, well, that one too. You know, a sleep so number stupid. does a certain thing for every sleep number that gets bought. Uh, someone's very disappointed. Let's say for for a certain number of sleep number beds that are bought, um, they bury Sunny Kobe Cook a little deeper. Are we? So, uh, so we're we're, are we ready? We're good. All right, let's head. Let's head over to uh, to the movie to the movie place to the place where we talk about movies. Uh, movies from the olden days. Movies from the new days. But uh, today, it's a new day. Today, uh, we want to talk about. The the movie that we started off the podcast with. So yes. we are going to talk about uh, an action movie that I love so much, that is so dear to my heart, that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, that stars uh, uh, kind of Alyssa Milano, uh, that is just uh, fantastic on so many levels. It came out one year before I was born, but it's you know it's it's really still so dear to my heart. That is Commando. Uh, Kevin, let's party. <laughs> what is uh, what is just. Okay, just to, like describe the plot of Commando, I guess. Let's just start with that. Okay. Okay. So I. <laughs> so greatest fake name in the history of movies, John Matrix, played by a really revolutionary name, uh, foretelling the future, uh, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, is a uh, retired. Was he like? He's a com- he's a black ops commando. Is that it? He's he was in the special forces. It's basically yeah, like super and then, green and he, and he finds out that like every other guy in his unit has been killed by mercenaries. Yeah, and they're. Uh, oh, wait, how are they killed, gentlemen? Do not gloss over this. Oh, you have to you have to pride this detail. This, this is a is, good one. This is like okay, so it Bennett, starts. Bennett, his a uh, his a uh, his old no, but it's good friend or whatever. It starts off with like you know someone going getting up. Uh, it's sore in the morning. I'm gonna go out and get the paper. Guess what? The trash men are actually assassins. Garbage day. Garbage day. Yeah, there you go, Kevin. They're going to kill the guy, and then they're still going to go pick up trash because they're that deep cover. That's right. And then you fast forward to the guy who's like, I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to test drive it. I'm going to drive it off a lot and murder somebody. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous. Is there really beginning. dumb elaborate? And also, yes. isn't there like some really like overly elaborate thing where like the he gets kidnapped, but then the guy wants him to go back to America and carry out a... Uh, an assassination or something? Or no, yeah. he, it's, he has to get to the island. He has to get on the plane. And it's something like a 12-hour, 13-hour flight. And he's like, if you know, if you don't land, if you know, we want to make sure that you're on the plane. If you're not on the plane, we're going to kill your daughter. 
And if yeah. it lands and you're not there, we're going to kill your daughter. So that's the thing. An elite group of South American mercenary criminals oh, yeah. kidnap his daughter. It's a race against time. Uh, this this includes the run down the side of the mountain at the beginning of the movie, which is my favorite scene. That's that, uh, I watched Eric, that this can summer. You, can you, uh, Eric, can you recap that scene in excruciating detail for me, please? Oh, uh, that scene is uh, those... It's movie magic. Those mercenaries are going uh, down the dirt path as fast as they can go, sidewinding down long in roads. In crappy off-road vehicles. In crappy off-road vehicles. Meanwhile, Arnold Schwarzenegger just puts his truck that I think is busted, broken down. Maybe tires don't... Or it's like inflated. a 74... Bronco, yes, and he with absolutely nothing <laughs> off. Like the door handles are taken off. Yeah. It's basically just a roll cage with wheels and well, a V8. He, he puts this thing in neutral and then just decides I'm going to steer it down on the side of the mountain and try and intercept these guys, yes. which he he almost does. It's like Cool Runnings. <laughs> it 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 does, except uh, the cuts are not as good because <laughs> that Bronco totally flips and they just cut before it totally flips. <laughs> But I watched it this summer. It was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. this that's my favorite good. scene in the entire movie is the whole really? opening section when he's kidnapped, when when she's kidnapped, and uh, they're racing down the side of the mountain, and, and he 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 kind of chases them in the truck. It's just, it's incredibly well, ridiculous. I want to point out, too, these are all black op people, like special ops. Yeah, everyone in this movie is like some kind of like secret military the badass. best of the best, right, Nathan? Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, everyone's dying by bullets from a machine gun. And don't forget, right like, another thing too is like, don't forget Tommy Chong's daughter is like Ray Dong Chong is in this. Yeah, yes, yeah, and she's like the she helps uh, John Matrix she's quite a the bit. Love interest because at the end of an '80s action movie, you always fall in love. That's right. So, you know what? Good for her. Nice job by her. Um, and uh, isn't Bill Paxton in this movie too? I just want to try to like say no. Like, he is. Uh, oh no, he is. I see it right here. Bill Paxton as interceptor officer. <laughs> okay, so wait. He's in. He's in the first Terminator. He's in he's Alien. In True Lies. No, I'm thinking with he's Schwarzenegger. In Predator. He is in Predator Two, not with Schwarzenegger. Oh, you're right. I'm thinking. So this is the third Schwarzenegger movie. I did not know he was in this movie. Uh, okay, has, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause it a question. It's completely kind of it's a little off of topic of what we're talking about though. But has anybody had like a crazier career than Stephen E. DeSouza? Like for terms of movies that they wrote, is that the <laughs> they wrote, he wrote Commando, The Running Man, Die Hard. Uh, the Flintstones movie, oh, no. St- Street Fighter, Beverly Hills Cop 3, The oh. Old Judge Dread, um, <laughs> the 2003 Laura Croft movie. Like, I think all of those are the same movies. Right before Flintstones, place, he was like, he was 48 hours. Hit. 48 okay, hours. 48 hours is fine, yeah. Yeah, 48 hours is it's awesome a good movie. movie. Yeah. So at some point, like, the Flintstones was when he's like, you know what, I'm going to spread my wings and fail. So he was doing just the right amount of coke in the 80s and then way too much in the 90s. Thank you, That's Kevin. What I'm hearing. This is This is accurate. All right. Well, I, I don't. I don't really have much much else to say about oh, this movie. Can I, I give you the it. tagline? There's like a thousand good one-liners. Uh, the, the tagline for the movie was, "If there's a mission that no man could survive, then he's the man for the job." That makes no sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. When you read that you tagline, you know everything sense? you need to know for the movie. Uh, the other tagline was, "Somewhere, somehow, someone's going to pay." All right. Uh, 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 this is really just. A- 80s drug-induced uh, Taken. Yeah. I'll be back, Bennett. There's just so many good lines in this movie. You're a funny guy, Sully. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Uh, and then you, yeah, I'll, uh, he actually I'll be kills back, Sully Bennett. second. That's not. That's a spoiler. Yeah, I know. That, that's because that's one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah. And he's just like, 
Uh, I'm going to say that one. Oh, he's, like dead. he's dead. He's tired. dead tired. So that's when he kills a guy on the plane. <laughs> by I, eat green, I eat green berets for breakfast. And right now I'm very hungry. <laughs> Remember, Sully, when I promised to kill you last? I lied. And then he just drops him off a cliff. And then the guy later asks him, what did you do to Sully? I let him go. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. I forgot about that one. This is, uh, I think, Schwarzenegger's that's party. first vehicle. Like where it was just him. Because before that, I think you had uh, the Belushi oh. movie where he was a Russian officer or something. I think this is this is Schwarzenegger's first like foray Couple, into being a leading man yeah. badass. Couple more good one-liners. When he throws the pipe through Bennett's yes. chest, <laughs> and, Which before, and, and it goes into like some kind of steam room, and there's steam just coming out, and he just goes, let off some steam, Bennett. That's <laughs> this the movie, most ridiculous ending for a bad guy to die to. This movie solidified uh, like the dumb action one-liner and, uh, in such well, it, a way. It basically yeah. made a template where people were like, yeah, I want to see this for the rest of my life. Remember at the end of the movie, he's all oiled up and he's like super ripped and he's got these cuts and stuff and he's got Alyssa Milano right next to him and the, the guy, the like general guy comes in and he's asking him like, did you leave anything behind for us? And he just goes, only bodies. <laughs> Which is, I think, I think the let off some steam Bennett was the best Way to end it, and they're like, let's just let's just put one more in there. One more, we got one, one more good more. one. We got one more good one in here. By the way, I think Cindy has that really good line. I'm just reading through the the different quotes. That's a, can you tell me what all this is about? Yeah, a guy who I trusted for years wants me dead. That's understandable. I've only known you for five minutes, and I want you dead too. That's the comic. That's relief a great in the movie. 80s. Yeah, she's she's very funny in in them. Or well, she's as funny as anyone is in this movie. I was <laughs> <laughs> gonna say i don't uh, think she's listening nathan she provides necessary levity they shot the whole thing in california uh they those were they, the days they shot the the house that matrix storms in the film climax was actually the former rain residence of uh harry lloyd estate so that that's like a really like famous uh big it's like the it's like a green acres thing so uh oh, i bet he was really happy about yeah that. they they uh they really went uh they were going for it you know and uh yeah, they made action figures for this, Eric. So if you want to start taking pictures of those for us, if uh, I can, if I can find some Commando figures, I will. There was a Commando video game kay. that was not anything like the movie. Can I? No, can wasn't I, good either. Can I tell you the? Wait, I got to tell you the the action figure series they made. So they made an a, a series of action figures. Uh, John Matrix leads an elite special forces unit called C Team, made up of <laughs> John Matrix, Specs, Blaster, and Chopper. <laughs> Let me guess, do Specs have glasses? They are, they are against, led against the forces. They are The bad guys are called FEAR, F-E-A-R. No, no, doesn't tell me what it stands for. But uh, they're led by Psycho, who's Bennett. And then Leadhead, Stalker, and Sawbones. Wow, ooh, Sawbones so, sounds like a bad guy. I'm going to look this up. So there's, there, oh. th- those are all f- those are all four-inch figures. There's a series of eight-inch figures, which only you, you can only get Matrix, Specs, Blaster, Psycho, Leadhead, and Stalker. So no chopper, no sawbones. Sorry. And then this there's is an, back in the day when R-rated movies were geared for children. This the, is this then, is what I grew up with. Then kept uh, eighteen wait. inch. There's an eighteen inch John Matrix that comes with a pistol, an M16, and a grenade. I know what I'm getting Kevin for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so also apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger was very close to Alyssa Milano on set. Uh, she says that uh, he would help her with her algebra homework. <laughs> so wow. So you know what you got to do here? You have to solve for X. You know, so, so you, you have to get the variable alone all by itself. It's very easy. You must isolate the variable and you, got, you must get all these what other you, numbers see, see what you out have to do of here. Is you have to think about PEMDAS, but it's backwards. 
So you <laughs> we're terrible at this. There are 54 stunt performers listed in the credits, 17 more than actual actors. Wow. <laughs> I guess they kept getting hurt. <laughs> no, they just did a lot of stunts that required a lot of people. How many nameless soldiers are in the, are there in this movie? Um, yeah, well, people are getting blown up over cars and dirt explosions. Nick Nolte was the original choice for John Matrix, but oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger was cast instead. Oh, my Let gosh. off some steam, Bennett. The film was shot in 45 days. <laughs> Not Are you four to five days? Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was all one take. <laughs> Uh, this is one of the original movies. movies. A giant long shot. This seriously is one of the uh, original movies that takes place over hours. All right. So know? do you know? According to moviebodycounts.com, uh, this was the highest body count in any in any Arnold Schwarzenegger film with eighty eight, including eighty one kills by his character John Matrix, which is the most by thirty. He killed fifty one <laughs> people in True Lies as Tasker, forty four as Quaid in Total Recall, which by the way is like one of my all time favorite movies. Um, so yeah. Arnold is the all-time... He's the all-time killingest actor, too, just so you know. Um, so Not I did surprising some, uh, anyone. I did some quick research. How many did he get in a... Um, uh, what, God, what's that for? I did movie? some quick research. Specs Expendables does not two. have glasses. What? Specs, yeah, that doesn't uh, make sense. I'm out. I'm hard action, out. It's S-P-E-X, dude. Like, oh. special. Nah. Special right. X? That's even worse. It makes sense. All right. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna call it a night here. I think that's that's about right. Uh, so for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronenbeck, I'm Nathan Sano, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks! Let off some steam, Bennett. Oh, also, if you're still here, if you have any Seattle suggestions for Twelfth Man Augustine, who is in town from Argentina, send them our way. See you guys later. <laughs>